Uh, we are in uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. We're going to be steaming along today at our normal rapid pace of uh, eating up verses. Uh, but I was, as I was thinking about this idea of testing and, and Jesus being sent out uh, into the wilderness for this process, it reminded me of one of the, ep- the, the testings that I went through uh, as an EMT. I don't know if you guys know this, but I spent five years as an EMT out in Enos Valley, and uh, there's a, a, a small sequence of events that you have to uh, go through to get a, 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 a label on your on your card or behind your name that says you're an EMT, and it, you know, involves people's health. Probably a good idea that you spend a little bit of time studying, right? Are you guys okay with that? Yeah, right? And so the regiment for the testing process was a little daunting uh, because they would, it was a blind test, and they would set you up, and you would have, you would go into a room, and there would be people acting out the scenes. Now, most of those people were uh, EMTs that had already gone through the course, and uh, they even had the one guy that I had to deal with, they'd, they'd done this thing with moulage, and so they made it look like he had, you know, a big ga- gaping wound and blood all over him, so it was especially effective. They were, they were going for the visual aids as well to try and help train us and prepare us for uh, what what we had coming on the, in the field. The interesting part of it, and, and I think that this was a great value for me, was uh, they would tag us. I, I ended up being one of the first uh, students to go through the testing process, so I was one of the first people to see the scene. Now, what they did to help us, because it was a pretty substantial thing, we'd spent months training, but they gave us an experienced EMT to go in with us as our partner, as our second. Now, they couldn't answer questions for us, uh, but they could ask questions for us, and that was part of what they would do. And they were on our team. They wanted us to make it. They were there to actually help us get through the process. Now, I will tell you, would you guys be okay with the fact that my instructors were not wanting me to fail, but they were wanting to make sure that I wouldn't fail? And you know what that means, right? It means that they made it very difficult for me, right? If we want somebody to succeed in something, we don't make it as easy as possible, correct? Okay, some of you don't feel very convinced about this. If you're young, that's what your parents are doing to you. That's the whole plan. It's intentional. We want you to succeed, so life's not easy. If, if life is super easy, then you get to something hard and you flop. Well, I think it's interesting. Part of what we're going to see today is this idea of testing of Jesus and what he's gone through. Um, and, and I hope that you find, like I did, this encouraging idea that in this process of testing, we're going to see that there's value for it and that there's an end goal that God has in this uh, that's great for everybody as we know the end of the story. Uh, but there's a lot of times where we're entering into these trials when we're right in the middle of them that uh, we may not feel as, as uh, positive or encouraged about the whole scenario. Um, I remember one of my poor EMT gals, she had a ner- nearly a nervous breakdown in the process because it was so intense, uh, and we had, to, we had to retest for that individual. It was very, very uh, difficult. So let's jump in and, and roll through. I, man, I hope I make it through both verses today. Um, Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13 
The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, I have to tell you, on our very first point, there's two point, there's two references there that I'm going to leave for you to go and, and, and read. You guys can go and study those if you have questions. Uh, you know, email Julie. Um, that's a joke. You, you actually can, but it's a joke. Um, but I want to challenge you. There's all kinds of stuff happening in this text. What really happens during uh, his testing and his tempting, you actually see a conversation between him and, and, and Satan in this whole process. And that's in those references of Matthew 4, 1 and 11 and Luke 4, 1 through 13. But for whatever reason, Mark doesn't give us that information today. Did you catch that when we read those two verses? He says it immediately drives him off, and then he gives us just a couple of things that happen in this amazing story where Satan's tempting Jesus. Wouldn't you want to hear about that? Okay, you guys aren't as interested in it as I am, huh? I'm like, I want to know the conversation. There's so many great sermons to be had, but we're not going to do that today because that's not what Mark gives us in this particular account of the gospel. What we see are a few key things. One, the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. This idea of being tempted and or tested here is directed by the Spirit. He drove him out there for a purpose. And I, and I love this idea. I, I want to clarify something, though, very quickly. First of all, it is directed by the Spirit, but God's intent for us as a body of believers is not to do life isolated and, and alone. What we're going to see in this is Jesus is alone. He's with the wild animals. He's being ministered to by angels. He's out there by himself 40 days and 40 nights. There's a purpose for it. There's a value to it, but I want to encourage you that that's not what God intends for us as a body is to stay in those places. You know what our tendency as people is to do for some reason? When life gets tough, we tend to isolate. We tend to withdraw. We tend to pull away from people. Anybody else like that at all? All right, just a few people. Those of you that aren't like that, help us. When you see us doing that, come and get us. We're running, hiding, but that's not God's plan. You'll see I threw down a couple of passages in there. Um, isolation is not God's permanent plan. It may be a time for us. There may be a season for this, but in Galatians 6, 1 and 2, it's written there in your notes. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you, you, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're meant to do it together. Ephesians 2.19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We've been called into a relationship. We've been called into a family. We're meant to do it together. But there are times where God directs us into the wilderness. He directs us out. And there is great purpose in that. Our second point today is in, in the wilderness uh, for 40 days. We see that specifically mentioned. There are several other places that we see that. Hopefully you have, I believe you have those in your notes. Israel for 40 years, uh, Deuteronomy 8. Uh, Moses on Mount Sinai, 40 days and 40 nights. Exodus 34, 28. Elijah led 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Horeb. 1 Kings 19, 8. We're actually going to look at that passage uh, here in just a little bit. But God uses those times and he uses those things in different ways for different purposes. What's very interesting is that in most of those times, this process 
It's meant not as much in a disciplinary way, but as a time of testing and proving, and it almost always is leading to his salvation or his uh, redemption of people. His intent, his purpose is almost always leading to some kind of, some point of salvation or redemption for those people involved. Israel, for 40 years, being led to the promised land. And if you just look back before all of that time, you look at the fact that Joseph was, was sold into slavery, was thrown into, which, by the way, was our lesson last week, so I'm, I'm right up on it, um, with the kids. I, I learned that in Sunday school last week. Uh, so God's plan for Joseph and Israel involved Joseph's life going into Pharaoh, going into Egypt, and going through the process that he did to, to meet Pharaoh and be put in charge and able to redeem his brothers and the nation of Israel. And remember what Joseph said to his brothers when they sat and worried about what was going to happen. He said, what you intended for evil, God meant for good. In the midst of these things, in the midst of the trials that we face, God is a good father. God is in control. One of the area, one of the things that jumped out to me is that he talks about that he's hanging out with the wild animals. Why, what, why are the specifics in this particular text? Anybody else thought that's interesting? No? I hope, hopefully you did because I'm like, wild animals? Why do we need to know that about Jesus? Well, what jumped into my mind, and that maybe, maybe I'm just a little twisted, and, uh, but it, I went right to King Nebuchadnezzar, right? We, most, most of us know the story of King Nebuchadnezzar. He was a fairly prominent king in Daniel's day, and he was a little bit full of himself, kind of thought pretty highly of his kingdom and all of his things, and, and God took care of that. Turn with me, if you would, to Daniel uh, chapter 4. We're going to read just a couple of passages uh, today about some pretty awesome guys. Daniel chapter 4, verse 28. Follow with me through verse 37. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal resident and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the, kingdoms, the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven until his hair grew as long as an eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the, ho the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can, say to, uh, none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? 
At that same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right, and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar had a time alone with God in the wilderness. And what were the results of his experience in that moment? He recognized the holiness. He recognized the glory and the praise of the Most High God. It placed him back in his proper position under the hand of a mighty God. And you see him extolled. Now, the crazy part, you guys, if you read before and after that, you'll see there was a dream. And then shortly after this, he blows it again. He, he's a guy just like everybody else. Nebuchadnezzar didn't, didn't land on any epiphany and do it well. He, he, blew, he blows it again. We see another individual, uh, this idea of being tempted by Satan. We're, we're, so Jesus himself, he's in the wilderness for 40 days. He's, being, he's there being tempted by Satan, and, uh, and, and he's with these wild animals. It's interesting in First uh, Chronicles 21, 1 through 4, we see another time when Satan gets involved, and it's with David. And one of the reasons we're going to look at David today is because uh, we're actually, he, he's, he's a great character. He's a man after God's own heart, and he still has some uh, uh, moments where he just kind of flops. And, and even though he's a man after God's own heart, he struggles. And in the midst of the, the heat of his life, the temptations and the battles that he faces, uh, he fails unlike Jesus did. And that's one of the great contrasts uh, to the story is when we look at what, what man does in these moments and then we see what Jesus does, it really should cause us to be in awe and to worship who he is. First Chronicles uh, 21, 1 through 4. says this, then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the army, go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring me a report that I may know their number. But Joab said, my Lord, uh, may the Lord add to his people a hundred times as many as they are. Are they not, my Lord, the king, all of them, my Lord's servants? Why then should my Lord require this? Why should it be a, uh, a cause of guilt for Israel? But the king's word prevailed against Joab. So Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came back to Jerusalem. You see, David, he was incited by, by Satan. He was tempted by Satan, the, the temptation of his pride to know how good his kingdom was. You see the theme? What was Nebuchadnezzar's issue? Absolute self-pride, wasn't it? Good thing you and I don't struggle with that. Shoo! We, we might be vulnerable. To the temptations of the enemy. Look in 2 Samuel 11.1. 1. Now, I just I want to say this. This the, the whole point of this is there are times where we put ourselves at a higher risk of failure to, to being tested or or being in this battle that we're in with an enemy that is active. And as we saw in First Peter, he's 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 roaming the earth, going to and fro, seeking those he can devour. We know that that's the enemy's, uh, that that's what he's doing. And there are times where we put ourselves in a more vulnerable position by being in the wrong place. And we're going, this is David again in chapter 11 of 2 Samuel. We see this uh, verses, uh, actually it's just Samuel verse 1, uh, 11, 1. In the spring of the year, 
the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabeth, uh, Rahab, uh, Reba, sorry. Uh, but David remained at Jerusalem. Now, what, I don't want to go into the whole story, but what follows after that is Bathsheba, his adultery. Where David should have been out with his men, he should have been on campaign with his men. He stayed home. He, was, he sent others out to do his work. And there's times where you and I, we know what we should be doing. We know what the truth is. We know that we should be in the Word. And we know that we should be in prayer. We know we should be in fellowship with our brothers and sisters. But because of life and because of where we're at, we don't do those things. And we put ourselves in a vulnerable position in the midst of a great battle that we're in. And we have to be cautious of this. It's not going to change the fact that we're being that we may find times where we need angels to minister to us, where we need God to show up and care for us because we're in that testing, we're being put to proof as it could be said. And the third point, the angels minister to him. What an amazing amazing thing. Now, this is just this is kind of, you know, sometimes we do the freebies. Um this is just extra credit, really. Hebrews Chapter uh, 13, verses 1 and 2. I just think we should be aware of how significant this truth is, that there's angels who minister to to saints as they are in need, as they are walking in their faith and going through difficult times. Uh, um, Where am I at? Hebrews 13, 1 and 2 says this, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. The truth of God's supernatural kingdom, the, the involvement that he has with us, sometimes we get lost in that. And we're not going to get into the, to all of the discussions that are available here. I just want us to be aware that, that there are times where you and I are ministering or involved in life, where we're dealing with life, and we don't know who it is that we're serving or caring for. You know, we saw the FedEx gal who, who met this gal and who prayed for her. Um, we we this the story rings true in our hearts because we know people that are suffering with cancer. We've watched it. We've we've been involved in in a community that's experienced this enough to know what it's like. But um, the truth is, we don't know if that story was about her learning to follow Jesus or if it was her ministering to someone who can't. We don't know. According to the writer of Hebrews, there are times where we entertain angels and we're not even aware of it how we treat one another, how we live together, how we deal with trials and temptations and, and, and the many aspects of suffering are incredibly, incredibly important. It's kind of funny. My, my son was flying in yesterday. He was supposed to be here at 1230. And uh, my bride and I were on our way to the airport to pick him up. And her phone has this little thing. She's like following the track of the flight. And a few minutes before he's supposed to arrive at the airport, we get a notice that they've uh, detoured the plane because of fog, and he's in Boise. I'm not sure when they made the decision, but now he's in Boise. So we picked him up at uh, 12 o'clock midnight last night. And so there's a possibility, maybe slightly slimmer than what it had been if I wasn't teaching on suffering or being tested, that we could have been a little frustrated about sitting at the airport at 11.45 last night. It's possible. I know none of you would suffer with anything like that. But how we treat people in those moments, 
you, you guys all know I don't, I don't particularly do well. Now, if you all were there, I would be fine. It's amazing how good I do when my church body is close to me. There's this extra level of refinement and pressure. When you guys are near me, I'm like, I got to be like Jesus, which is why we should hang out more. Because if you were a stranger, I'd be like, I don't care. Go away. Right? Man, the, the, the simple things that we can run into, and it's here in these moments of life where we need to be really cautious because if God is good as we claim that he is good, if God for the sake of the kingdom drives his son out for 40 days and 40 nights to be tested by the enemy, by his enemy, and he desires for us to succeed in the battle that we're engaged in, would it not make sense then that he would allow us to have some times of trials and proving as well? That you and I would learn what strengths we have and what weaknesses we have. That we would become aware of the areas that we are failing and that we need to, to pour more time and focus into our following of Christ. That we would become aware of our need for one another and the challenges that we each face, and, and therefore lean on one another even more regularly. Look at Luke chapter 23. I'm sorry, chapter 22, verse 43. This is Jesus when he's praying, uh, asking for the cup to be removed, and his disciples can't stay awake, and, and he's getting ready to go to the cross. And um, he just finished a discussion earlier in the afternoon with his disciples about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. So, you know, his guys are with him. No, not. They're, they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, and he's going to die on the cross because that's what he, he just, he says, hey, guys, I'm going to go die. And they're like, well, Jesus, who's going to be the most important next to you in your kingdom? The irony set in on that. He, he didn't have his boys with him. They were focused on the wrong stuff. And so here's Jesus. He's, he's praying, asking for the cup to pass. And, and verse 43 of Luke 22 says this, And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. Somehow in the midst of these challenges and these difficult times, angels appear in the lives of people. We may or may not realize that they're there, but God shows up and he cares for his children. He cares for those that are facing difficult times. I love Elijah. I, I don't know if you ever read the story of Elijah. We're going to take just a second and look at this. Elijah, chapter, uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. This whole story of, of Jezebel and, and Ahab and all those things that are going on. Um, I'm going to jump ahead just a little bit if I can uh, to verse 4. So Jezebel has threatened him in verses 1 through 3 and verse 4. This is where we pick up in, in 1 Kings 19. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. You guys ever wonder why so many of the servants of the Lord asked to go home? I mean, Jonah does it. Elijah does it. They're like serving, they're serving the Lord doing their stuff, and they get they're getting beat up, having victories, and they're like, I'm done, Lord, take me home. So, 
Maybe we should think, we might want to think about that. Maybe it's because they're so enthralled with him that it's just such a better place to be. You think? I don't know. And he lay down, verse 5, and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a, a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And again, uh, and, and the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he rose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Okay. You catch that? The Lord sent him to the cave and the Lord showed him and said, What are you doing here? Huh? Well, Elijah knew he was there for it. Verse 10, he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mountain, on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great uh, and strong wind tore the mountains and broke it into pieces, uh, the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, a sound of a low whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he repeats his command or his statement. And more of the story is there, and you need to go and you really need to go and read the story. But here Elijah is worn out, exhausted, having great battles and great challenges, and all of these things happening. And he goes off to sulk. He gets alone, and in the process, he meets God. Now I guarantee you, he meets in a way that he maybe he didn't expect. But when he heard his voice, he knew him, and he covered his face, and he went out. Part of what we see in the temptation process, part of what we see in this being driven by the Spirit out into the wilderness is that Jesus was taken and he was put away into a place where he, where he spent time with the Lord. He was in temptation and he overcame the challenges and the temptations that were offered him by the enemy. You have to read about that in, in Matthew and Luke. But what was the purpose why did Jesus have to do this? What was God intending to happen? Turn with me in Hebrews. We're going to finish with two texts. Jesus knows our temptation. That's the most beautiful thing that, that, that comes out of this story is that Jesus knows you and me. He knows what we're going through. Hebrews in chapter 2, verses 17 through 18 says this. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Because Jesus is like you and me in understanding temptation and the suffering and the, the, the physical things that he went through, he can come and be our priest. He can minister to us and he understands what we're going through and he can help us. 
Wherever that's at, we're not alone just because of Jesus. And isn't it incredible that then his plan was, he he says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a body full of people that I'm going to be the head of, and we're going to be the church to one another so that I can be with every one of you, and I can can lead, and, and you can follow. Hebrews 4, 14 and through 16. It says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. I believe that part of what Mark was trying to get across to the, to the people of that day, to the, to the Christians who were following and, and needing to be encouraged by the apostles, I believe that it was more, it, it wasn't as much about the conversation that Jesus had, but it was about who Jesus is for you and for me. God the Father drove him out. He was tempted and put to test, and he proved to be up to the task, beyond what you and I can do. Every, every other character that we watch in Scripture, when tested, has some level of faulting. You and I, when we're put to these tests, we struggle and we fail. But Jesus as our high priest, Jesus as the conquering Lord, he sustained those tests. He overcame those truths and he became the sacrifice that gives you and I access to the throne. And you know what's so beautiful about this? He says, follow me. Follow me. I know the path. I've walked the path, follow me. When you and I are faced with challenges and trials, when you and I are suffering in the midst of these heat, these testing times, we call them refinement, whatever you want to call it. We can turn to the Lord and we can follow him because he's sympathetic and he's faithful and he understands what we're going through and he knows how to get us through it. I had a friend of mine, we were talking about some of this stuff a while back, and, and uh, she was reading in, in uh, the Gospel of John about uh, vines and, and, and Jesus being the vine and us being the branches. And she came back one Sunday morning, and she goes, Pastor, Pastor, it's horrible. I'm like, man, what's horrible? She goes, I was reading this text, and this is what I realized. I'm pruned if I do and pruned if I don't. Because God says he's going to prune us if we're not growing, and he's going to prune us to make more fruit if we are growing. And she's like, ah, I wanted this to be over. I wanted it just to have this moment, and then I'll grow from that, and I don't have to do it anymore. But man, if God's a good father, if he loves us, if Jesus is everything that he's called us to be, we're pruned if we do and pruned if we don't. That's a good spot to be. We can follow Jesus in the midst of all things. All things. Because even when Jesus' life was asked of him, and the angels showed up to minister to him, he said, not my will, 
but yours be done. Now follow me. Father, thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you for being our example. Thank you for going ahead of us in defeating sin and death. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for taking on, willingly taking on the physical form of a, of a human and, and experiencing the suffering and the tempting and testing that comes because of the enemy of this world, the enemy of our God. Lord, I would pray that you would challenge us and help us to, to do the things that we know, that we would not place ourselves in vulnerable positions, but we would stand in the truth of who you are. We would, we would put on the whole armor, which is you, Jesus. And that in the midst of those challenges, in the midst of those trials, our eyes would be on you and we would stand together with our brothers and sisters who you've given us here in this church. Not just to try and figure out how to get along with, but to care and support and be the body for one another. Help us each to see our value and our purpose as we follow you and draw our eyes more and more to you every day. In your name, amen.